You're listening to Halfway There, episode number 257, Jeff Brown and the Exponential Value of Reading. It'll change your life. Welcome back to Halfway There. This is the show where we have honest conversations with ordinary Christians about today's Christian experience. And I'm so glad that you are here. I uh, am so, I'm, I'm excited. I'm always excited about our conversations, but sometimes you get one that just is going, you know, is going to be great and, uh, and has special meaning. This is one of those. We have a guest. He is an award-winning radio producer and personality. He launched his podcast in 2013, and I remember listening to him in my cubicle way back when I was in bank jail. Uh, We're sitting around and uh, working and looking for good stuff to listen to. And so it's just a real privilege to have him. He's the host of the Read to Lead podcast. He's just about to publish his book of the same title. We're going to hear all about that. Our guest is Jeff Brown. Jeff, welcome to Halfway There. Thank you for having me. Bank jail. I like that. Yeah, I just kind of made that up, but that's what it felt like. I, I, I would think like, hey, I'm in the six by six cell. And uh, what's the difference between this and jail? Except that I come here voluntarily every single day. So that's uh, that's the deal. Well, uh, but you got me through some of those times because I remember listening to your show. You've been doing this. You're a pro and it's exciting. And you're publishing a book about about kind of some of the things you learned. So we'll hear all about that. Tell me what's besides, or tell, you can tell us about the book, how you're promoting it, but where's God got you right now? What are you, what are you excited about? Yeah, uh, this book is, uh, gosh, a big deal to me. Um, I've been, I've been asked for eight years uh, interviewing authors, Jeff, when are you going to write a book? Yeah. And my answer has always been some sort of like, oh, I don't know, I don't have any plans to. Uh, but thankfully, a friend uh, approached me, Jesse Wisniewski, my co-author, a couple of years ago. In fact, a couple of years ago this week, I think. Uh, we met at a coffee shop and he's got, I've had this idea for a book. I tried to get it published, no takers. They said, it's because I don't have a platform. Oh, wow. <laughs> you have a platform and and the topic is right up your alley. Uh, it wasn't called Read to Lead. Then it was called The Reader's Edge. Um, and I said, this is a very intriguing idea to me. Uh, yes, it's right up my alley. It's a perfect fit for the brand. Uh, let's Let's move forward. And so, again, that was two years ago. And we're about a month at this time away from the book coming out. Uh, and and it's, it's been a long journey, long process. Uh, but I, God has surprised me, Eric, every step of the way when it comes to things related to this book, uh, new opportunities because of this book. Um, I, 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 every week I'm surprised about something. Somebody who wants mm. to have us on their show like you. Um, somebody who's uh, endorsed the book, like oh yeah, I don't know, Seth Godin or something. Right. <laughs> you know, it just it it's just amazing to me what God can do when you step out in faith, like He asks you to. Absolutely, yeah. I was looking at some of the endorsements. You've got some amazing, amazing people in there, and you're you've you've worked with them and you've had them on your show, and um, which is which is pretty cool. So like Michael Hyatt and John Acuff and. Uh, you know, Brian Tracy. I mean, that's, that's, that's pretty astounding. So I guess we'll talk about kind of how you, you know, networked with all those people and how you get them on your show. Let's, let's talk about that. Um, let's come back to it because I want to hear your story. Really, this show is about your, your kind of walk with the Lord. So uh, you're in Tennessee now, but where'd you grow up? Where, where are you from? 
Yeah, I grew up in Indianapolis, Indiana, a city I had a chance to visit just a couple of weeks ago to help my mom get situated into a new place. Yeah. Um, but grew up there, spent, uh, sort of cut my radio teeth in uh, Indianapolis and uh, secondarily Muncie, Indiana. Uh, worked at the same station David Letterman worked at oh, wow. college, but many, many years later yeah. uh, than when he worked there. That's a cool pedigree, though. That's each other in the hall. Right? Yeah, that's a nice That's a nice thing to go, hey. So it, I grew up in Des Moines, Iowa, and we have this thing where Ronald Reagan worked at WHO, right? Same kind of deal. Like it's yeah, so, so long ago. Yeah, it's like the 30s, right. but we still, te- we still claim it. <laughs> we still talk about it. Yeah. yeah. So, so that was, that was where I grew up. That's where I started. Um, and as a, as a kid, ever since I was young, um, you know, I played radio. I was fascinated by the medium. I remember being one of six students selected from my grade school in a, a sort of experiment of sorts called a Mike Fright test where they picked six kids at random. We all went to a radio station and we, we recorded PSAs. They put us third graders in front of a microphone and said, okay, let's see how you do. Wow. Um, PSAs that I would hear later on the radio station as a, as a third grader. Um, but just, it, I guess it got in my blood early. And uh, although I tried to go down a different path, uh, God brought me back to, to the radio path. Yeah. <laughs> because that's where he wanted me to be, I think. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of your kind of your thing, kind of kind of where you wanted to go. Well, that's interesting. Um, so, what was your, what was your family like? What was like the religious culture? Was it a Christian family or no? Yeah, I grew up in a Christian family. Um, we went to church of uh, uh, a church that I would would argue, uh, looking back on it, was very legalistic and mm. uh, unfortunately, and there, a lot of emphasis on what was on the outside versus what was on the inside. Um, and so uh, when I got old enough to make a decision whether or not to go, my decision was no. And so I went through mm. the entirety of my teens and on into my early 20s uh, without really attending a church. Uh, but I started dating a girl who attended church, you know, uh, once or twice a year, uh, which uh, a lot of people, a lot of people who call themselves Christians did. You know, those were the two times, yep. you know, Easter and Christmas when they went. And um, I had the timing of all this was incredible because I just got fired from my first radio job. I was there for nine months, Muncie, Indiana, 50,000 watt FM station, got fired. This is April the 1st. I even thought I was so naive. I thought it was an April Fool's joke at first because they were firing on April 1st. But two days later, April 3rd, 1988 was Easter Sunday. And uh, I found myself in church. Um, And though I didn't make a decision then, when I got home in my bedroom, I got down on my knees and I prayed, you know, the sinner's prayer as I, as best I knew it. Um, and my prayer was basically, you know, God, you know, I've chosen this radio career. It's already over seemingly after nine months. I don't know if this is what you want for me going forward, but I need some sort of a sign. Can you, you know, give me a sign as to what it is you want me to do? Um, and coincidentally, that day, that Sunday where I accepted Christ, I started listening to a local contemporary Christian station I'd heard about or was just vaguely familiar with. I was working full-time for my dad at the time. This radio job I lost was a part-time job. Yeah. Uh, My dad owned a service station, a couple of service stations, and I managed it and pumped gas and did oil changes and that sort of thing. Two days after I prayed this prayer, a man walks in in a you know, great looking suit, nice car. 
and he says, hi, my name's Richard Sickles. I'm the general sales manager for Love 98, the contemporary Christian station in town. And I'm looking for someone who's willing to uh, give me a gas trade in exchange for free advertising on the station. Oh, wow. I'm like, you had me at Christian radio station, Love 98, <laughs> WXIR. Yes. <laughs> and so I brought him back to my father and talked my dad into, into doing these radio ads. Two days after that, had a tape and resume in this guy's hand. And two weeks later was working at that radio station. And for the next 25 years, I worked in Christian radio. Oh, wow. And so that was God answering that prayer. I've started this radio career. God, I don't know if this is where you want me. You know, it was in secular radio. It's over before it started, you know, nine months, it seemed like. But he had a plan for me in Christian radio, and that's where I ended up for, for the you know, quarter of a century. So, Wow. Yeah, that's an amazing story of how God kind of directed you to, to where you wanted to go, where he wanted you to go. Um, how did that how'd that shape you that experience of all of a sudden these things are working out for you after you prayed that prayer, what'd that do in your heart? Yeah, it was, um, uh, it was confidence, a confidence builder, um, mm -hmm. that, you know, I, uh, that, you know, if I, one of my favorite verses at that time was Matthew six thirty three. but first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Um, and I realized that as I put God first, um, you know, he would give me the desires of my heart. Um, and, and the Holy Spirit was informing what those were to be anyway. <laughs> so yeah. um, it, it, just, uh, it just was a, a wonderful experience for, a, for somebody who was familiar with Christianity, but was in, in all intents and purposes a new Christian. You know, yeah. I'd gone forward as a kid, but not sure I really understood what, that, what the ramifications of that decision were. So... This was like me, you know, starting over uh, in the way I saw it. And, and it was just a great way to just um, you know, start the, the, the Christian walk, to just see God working in this way. And to be so, you know, it sounds like, oh, God, give me a sign. That's so cliche. Right. You know, and I didn't know how, how else to ask anything of him. And, uh, but it was sincere, you know, it was sincere. And he gave me within 48 hours, he gave me a sign as to what he wanted me to do. It was so obvious yeah. when that, when Richard Sickles walked into our business, that that's what he wanted me to do. So um, now have, have, have I sometimes uh, forgotten that lesson? Sure. <laughs> God can even today put obvious signs right in front of me that I just ignore. You know? Right. So I'm still trying to get it all these years later. Well, I think, yeah, the lesson I'm taking from all that is that if we certainly if we're paying attention, but sometimes we just have to ask and then he will he he will work. You know, I have a story like that too, where I prayed for a house with lilacs in the back. Well, we bought our house in November. It wasn't until May the next year that I knew there were lilacs back there because <laughs> right. And just a small little ask that, you know, sometimes God does those things. Pay attention and remember. And, uh, and don't be afraid to ask those things. Like I, I, I love the way that God worked in your life to kind of lead you to a place. And yeah, you're, you're, a, you're a broadcaster through and through. So how, so what, what were some other things that happened as you were growing then? Cause then you were on this journey of life with God. So, you know, you, you were there. So I could ask if there were books, maybe there were books think, that, uh, that kind of shaped you or, maybe individuals or verses experiences that you had to kind of develop and, 
in Christ. Yeah, there certainly were individuals that shaped me early on. Uh, this gentleman I mentioned earlier, that general sales manager, Richard Sickles, uh, sort of took on a mentorship type role with me and counseled me in so many ways. He saw in me at the time I was 21, 20, I guess 22 years old. Um, and he saw someone, I don't know if he would use these words, but young and dumb <laughs> <laughs> when it came to a lot of the ways of the world. Uh, and uh, thinking he knows a lot more than he does, you know, and, and, and if I'm being honest, a little full of myself. And I was at this, this relatively small Christian station and I had some natural abilities and found myself at a place where I was in, in the words of, of, of even some of them, I was better than most, but it was because it was, you know, a station that couldn't afford to pay a lot and didn't have a lot of top. <laughs> right. And so, you know, being better than most was not hard, but it was also a place I liked to be because of the way it fed my ego and confidence and that sort of thing. And so I floundered for the better part of the first half of my career because I always looked for opportunities like that where I could be, quote unquote, you know, near the top. Um, that, that impacted me, too, as a young instrumentalist. Uh, when I first went to college, I was a music education major. Uh, in junior high and high school, um, I flourished uh, and had some natural talent there and was one of the best and first chair and all that. Well, I got lazy. I didn't take lessons and, and, et cetera, et cetera. I get to college and suddenly yeah. I'm a small fish in a big pond and everybody is way ahead of me and way better than I am. And I've realized I've made this huge mistake. Well, I didn't learn the lesson because years later, here I am in radio kind of doing the same thing, looking for opportunities to, to be the, you know, the, the big kahuna, if you will. Uh, but about halfway through my career, I got a chance to uh, work at a station that I would then stay at for the entire second half of my career where everybody around me was an opportunity for me to get better and grow. You know, suddenly I could go, okay, I'm not the smartest person in the room and this is actually the room I want to be in. You know, right. it took me a while to to come to that conclusion that, no, you don't want to be the smartest person in the room because that feeds your ego and all this other stuff. You want just the opposite. You want to be surrounded by people who are going to push you and challenge you to be better. Right. I say all the time, you can't go further. You can't lead people further than you've already been. Right. So if you yeah. so you yeah. have to, you know, you have to continually be growing and in these kind of bigger maybe not bigger is the right word, but kind of higher level uh, rooms or with more yeah. people, people who've gone a deeper and been more successful or whatever it is. Um, I think that's so true with the spiritual life as well. Like we hire these kids out of seminary and I'm like, yeah, they, they don't know what they're talking about yet. They just, <laughs> they need to hire, enough life. hire me a, a guy who's been a pastor for 40 years to lead my church. That's what I want because they're, uh, even though it's, you know, you may have questions. They've been through some stuff and that's what I, that's what we need yeah. to hear. So, yeah. yeah, very interesting. Okay. Um, so I know that you eventually left that career, but so was there any other, any other um, events that happened in terms of your spiritual journey with the Lord? Was it just sort of, uh, you know, Sundays and small groups and, you know, just kind of go, going, going on or, or what, what was that like? You know, uh, something I'd always thought would be cool as I was working my way early on through these part-time radio jobs and eventually full-time radio jobs 
I remember thinking about, as I worked with labels, uh, music labels and artists, uh, I remember thinking, man, it would be really cool to live in Nashville. Maybe if I lived in Nashville, I could work for a record label and then just, you know, do radio on the weekends, do radio part-time. It was just sort of like a passing thought, even came down to Nashville and visited for a couple of days once, uh, a few years into, into thinking this. And I was at a station at one point and I was in the position of production director in Indianapolis or a production director and program director for about a year. And was just at a place where the person I was working for, I knew I could no longer working for. It was an oppressive, oppressive environment. It was a Christian station, but unfortunately yeah. lots of yelling, lots of screaming, very oppressive environment and just was not an enjoyable place to work. It was basically lead by intimidation was sort of a philosophy wow. of, of the leader there. And um, I knew I had to quit. And so I put the feelers out. And one of the places I put the feelers out was a network, a Christian music network out of Nashville that, whose programming we took part of. And uh, the guy who ran that company at the time was also from Indianapolis. And so we had that connection. And so he eventually uh, let me know of, of a record label, Murr Records, that was looking for a radio promotions person if I wanted to check it out. So I did, um, drove down to Nashville and had an interview with a couple of guys there. And then uh, later was flown down for a second interview, eventually got the job. And so I went from doing radio to working in the music business and six months into that doing radio part-time. So I'm doing exactly that thing I had dreamed about doing. I'm living in Nashville, working wow. for a record label. Six months into that, I'm doing radio on the weekends at that same network. Um, and I loved it. I, it, it lasted only four years because I bounced around uh, to a number of different labels in, in, that, in that time. But at Murr, I got to work with, I launched the career of Jackie Velasquez on wow. radio. Um, worked with Amy Grant on the Behind the Eyes uh, record. Guardian, uh, Bottle Rocket. Yeah. Um, uh, which so, which uh, Jamie Rowe is a past guest friend. So go check that out. I'll put that in the, in the show yes, notes. <laughs> yes. Uh, and even did some traveling with, uh, with Guardian uh, for a bit. And they have some nicknames for me. They'll be happy to share with you <laughs> based on having traveled together a couple uh, anyway, but uh, yeah, people like Anointed, their their CD under the influence, Brian Duncan, Blue Skies, and in the, the CD that followed. Wow. And so I got to work with some amazing artists. We had huge success on the radio. I, you know, the pendulum was definitely swinging in Murr's direction around that time. I think it was as much that and the artists we had more to do than with that than anything I did. But the the two years I was there, we had the number one song of the year wow. in all of radio both years. Um, and so. Yeah, it was just a wonderful, wonderful time and a great place to be, great, great uh, work ethic and environment. Um, and again, like I said, went to a few other labels here and there and then was missing radio. Uh, finally had a chance to get back into radio. And that's when I ended up at, at Way mm. FM out of Nashville. Oh, yeah. For the next 13 years or so. Yeah, that's fascinating. Mer, they did have some amazing, amazing people. Are they still around? Like, I don't know. Is that... I think Murr has since been folded, uh, and it's. I think it's just uh, it's. You know, Murr was a division of Word, and I think it's just yeah. all Word now. I think. Did it, Did uh, they get? I don't think it exists as it once did. I don't know if they got acquired by somebody or I don't know. All, all that kind of the music industry took a really tough turn in the last. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Ten years or fifth twenty. Um, well, fascinating that uh, that you got to do that. I'm really curious. Did 
you know, some people will work in a Christian environment like that and come out a little cynical. Did you, did you have any, uh, experiences like that or was it, sounds like it was really positive. Well, for the most part, yeah, it was, it was positive. You know, I, I wanted to do something like that because I wanted to be closer to where the music was being made that mm. you know, as a, as a former instrumentalist and, and I've written a few songs that, um, that fascinated me. Um, and if I'm being honest, I probably was a little bit of a, a fanboy at first, but you know, that, that kind of wears off after a little while. And right. you're, you're more of a normal human around artists after <laughs> a few months. Uh, but, uh, but, but yeah, uh, I, I think for me, for the most part, it was a positive experience. I, I, I wanted to be where the music was being made, but after about four years, there was something I realized I missed. Uh, and, and that could be found back in radio. You know, in radio, I felt removed, another step removed from where the music was being made. But in the music business, I was another step removed from the end user. Uh, in radio, uh, yeah. you're much closer to the person being act, uh, impacted by the music. And I missed seeing that impact firsthand. You don't really see that as much in the music business unless it's at a concert or something like that. So that sort of the pendulum for me started swinging back to radio and I realized I'm kind of missing that component of seeing lives impacted by what's being created and having that firsthand knowledge or being able to witness it firsthand. And so, uh, but yeah, most of the experiences uh, in, in both industries was, was primarily positive. Uh, I guess cynicism can creep in to some degree, no matter who you are, but I never felt like it was overwhelming mm. or anything like that. Interesting. Just curious. Okay. So one of the questions I'd love to ask is, do you, have you had what I would call a dark night of the soul or a spiritual desert time where you felt like God was far away or distant? Um, it's described a lots, lots of different ways, but have you ever had an experience like that? Yeah. Um, I got married young at 23. Um, uh, just a year into my, or a couple years into my radio career. And by 25, I was divorced uh, about two years. And in fact, on our two year anniversary, my wife informed me that she wanted a divorce. I, I was presenting her with our, with an anniversary gift when I got the news. Oh, wow. That she, that she wanted a divorce. And the reason she gave was that she just had come to the conclusion that she wasn't the marrying type, that marriage just was, it wasn't me. Marriage was just not for her. And so I moved in with my parents. We were separated for about, uh, well, in total, about nine months before the divorce was final. But about three months into the separation, uh, and we still continued to go to the same church. I, I, we didn't cross paths much. But I got word that she was telling people, and this was, I guess, her way to justify her actions in hindsight, that I was abusive. Um, and so I found out about this, you know, second, second hand, and it explains why when I was moving out with a buddy of mine, uh, her parents were there, her, her stepdad and, and, and mom. And I remember her stepfather just giving me this, this dagger of a stare. And like, he was like, all he could do not to, not to punch me in the throat. And I'm like, why is he, why does he why is he looking at me that way? Why oh, wow. is he seemingly so angry? I didn't want this. I didn't asked for divorce. She's divorcing me. Well, several months later, when I found out the stories that were being told, I'm like, well, now that makes sense. <laughs> she must have told her stepfather and her mom. 
something along those lines. So all that to say then, um, the divorce was final uh, in May. Uh, and then in July, she was married to somebody else. <laughs> so oh, wow. Uh, my hope is in part, <laughs> I mean, I can't control what people say, but my hope is in part that those she was telling these stories to maybe thought themselves at some point, has she been honest with us? Because <laughs> yeah. this happened kind of fast. And it makes me wonder what might have been happening, you know, behind the scenes unbeknownst to me before we were divorced. But all that to say, that was a dark time. Yeah. I moved back with my parents for several years. I had just left a job to go back to school full time at her insistence. Um, so I was jobless and trying to pay for school uh, and had no choice but to move in with my folks. And so it was just, I mean, it's like the bottom dropping out. And I just was so unsure of what the future was was going to hold. Yeah. What did that do for your trust in the Lord or your feeling about God? Well, um, I didn't blame him per se. I mean, I, I, that's easy to do. I don't, I don't mean to imply that, you know, yeah. I don't understand people who do that because I do. Um, I don't recall necessarily feeling that way. It did. And I find this to be the case anyway. When adverse things happen, um, and I think sometimes God allows them to happen, um, oh, maybe every time allows them to happen. Uh, when adverse things happen, I'm the kind of person that those things get my attention and bring me to my knees. Mm. And I lean on God more so than ever when those situations, some people, when those situations happen, they start questioning God, they shake their fist at God, they pull away from God. How could you, God? I get that. But my response is to lean on him even more. So uh, not that, that uh, uh, you know, God uh, wanted me to get divorced. I'm not saying that at all. Yeah. Uh, that, that decision was, you know, hers to make, but um, that caused me, prompted me to lean on him even more for guidance, for assurance that things were going to be okay. Had the same thing or kind of experience when I lost my last radio job through no fault of my own. Yeah. And you know, didn't know what I was going to do next. That brought me closer to God. And so in, in those moments that they tend to just make me count on him all the more and uh, remind me too, you know, if you would count on him consistently, maybe he wouldn't allow as many of these things to happen to you as he does. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, okay. Well, tell us that story about when you, when you left your, your loss of that last job and kind of how you pivoted into podcasting. Yeah, uh, a few months before that happened, uh, the person who hired me left the station. He's at a station in Dallas now. In fact, he just called me a, a couple of days ago. Nice. Time, a long time. And um, uh, he left. And so I have, I have experienced this a couple of times in the past when the person who hires you leaves and the plan <laughs> is to hire someone other than you to replace them, you better you know, tidy up your resume. You're probably going to, to be looking for a new job pretty soon. And that's happened to me at least twice. And this was one of those times. He left months earlier. They're going to replace him. The person they're going to replace him with is made obvious. It's not me. It's not my colleague over here who was also vying for the position. It's going to be someone else. Uh, but I hadn't learned that lesson yet. I hadn't really taken it to heart. Uh, but I did begin thinking seriously, Eric, about what would life be like after radio? What would I do? I didn't know the answers to these questions. But one thing I had learned through my reading and, and following different influences is I need to set a deadline. I need to pick a date. And so this is early 2013, like mm. February or March. And I said, okay, it's going to be December 31st. I tried to pick a date as far off as I could, could, <laughs> could, could think of, you know, right. the end of the year. I'll, 
I'll make a decision to leave the radio station. And at that time, I began planning as, as part of, you know, kind of building a brand, I thought. I began planning a podcast. Uh, so March, I started researching ideas. In April, um, I started uh, putting a website together. In May, I purchased the equipment and started inviting people on the show. Um, and in June, getting the launch ready. In July, it went, it went live. Well, in June, about a month before it was set to go live, uh, I got let go. Uh, I was downsized along with a couple other people on the same day. Oh, wow. Two days before I was to interview my first guest for my podcast. Oh, man. Which was, was Dan Miller, uh, oh, you may know. Yeah. Um, and so uh, that happened. And about 24 or 48 hours later, I remember my wife coming to me and saying something akin to, okay, uh, either you're dealing with this really, really well or you're hiding it really, really well, <laughs> which is, and I just let her know that I trusted God, uh, that he would take care of us, that one way or another, we'd work this out. I knew I didn't want to go look for another radio job because that would most certainly mean packing up and moving somewhere else. I had no desire to do that. Neither did she, all her family's here in South of Nashville. Um, and so I just began working on what had been a side hustle the three years prior, and that was helping small businesses with websites and mobile apps. I began jumping into that 40 hours a week. Uh, and within a month of doing that, and thanks to some friends who were sending work my way, uh, I was able to invoice twice my take-home pay from the radio station every month. Wow. And so that was kind of, that was God, you know, giving that boost of confidence I needed at that time to go, you're going to be okay. This is not going to be the thing you do long-term. But between this and your severance, you know, I'm going to take care of you until, and this is going to be your on-ramp to the thing you're eventually going to do. So um, that's how that started. Uh, I, my, my timetable to leave the station got instantly moved up about six months. Oh, wow. But the cool thing is, is I think God knew, knew me well enough to know that I needed that push. I needed that shove. I'm not sure I actually would have made the decision to leave had I not gotten that push when I did. Yeah, sometimes uh, he's got to push us out of the nest a little bit, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, yeah, very nice. Interesting. Well, okay, so so you started this show, and like you said, so just I mean, we can start with Dan Miller. I mean, he's an amazing guest as it is, uh, amazing guy. But you've interviewed a lot of amazing authors and uh, about their books. Um, so you know, you they have in common that they're that they're authors, but. What have you learned from that? What have you learned about kind of people who are successful at that level that maybe we can all emulate from or emulate? Yeah, as I have uh, studied it and researched it, I have found, Eric, that I think that most every person I've ever interviewed, in addition to having authorship in common, uh, there are five habits that most all of them practice. And so if you want to be successful, I think uh, you would do yourself a lot of favors and save yourself a lot of heartache and time. If you would consider practicing one or more <laughs> of these habits, not every author that I've interviewed, I think does them, but most of them do. And they're all, uh, all intents and purposes, successful at what they do. They're, they've been asked to write books, right? Uh, not that you can't be successful uh, uh, without writing a book, but that's certainly um, I think a, you know, a quiver, uh, an arrow, arrow in their, in their, in their quiver. Yeah. Yeah. Like a tool in your toolbox. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, uh, uh, 
the way I've kind of uh, think about these is I think of the acronym or the word DREAM, D-R-E-A-M. So the first thing successful people do, as I see it, is they understand the value of dancing with discomfort. They ride the wave of discomfort. They lean into discomfort. They understand that when you do, as Eleanor Roosevelt said it, I think, uh, one thing every day that scares you, mm-hmm. you'll live a much more satisfying and fulfilling life. They understand the value of getting outside your comfort zone, pushing yourself. Um, you know, uh, I think it was um, Ronnie Ware uh, who wrote the book, The Five Regrets of the Dying. And the number one regret, uh, as she interviewed people, uh, you know, in their, in their last days, uh, the number one regret from those people was, I wish I'd lived a life true to myself rather than the life everybody said I should live. Something along those yep. lines. These are examples of people who, you know, kind of towed the company line, status quo, all that, didn't rock the boat um, and stayed comfortable. And I think that's going to lead to regret if, if that's if that's how you live your life. The R in that uh, acronym um, we've talked a little bit about and something you know I'm very passionate about, you can probably guess, is reading. Re-engage or if you're already reading, ritualize reading. Uh, and that's just the importance of making reading a, a consistent and intentional habit. And how, as the subtitle of my book says, um, it's going to boost your career and, and uh, impact and all those things when you do it on a regular basis. I've seen that in my own personal life and with everyone I know who, who practices that habit consistently. The third thing, and I'll be, I'll be brief. So I can yeah. here. E- examine your energy. That's the E, energy. I have, um, uh, but recently I didn't do this, but now I sort of view my schedule through this lens of what gives me energy, what takes away my energy, and what am I doing that neither gives nor takes my energy. And I would even recommend doing an energy audit and looking at a week or a month of your calendar and color green those things that you feel give you energy when you do them, red, anything that zaps your energy, and maybe orange for anything you feel indifferent about that neither gives nor zaps. Um, And if you do that, if you see a lot of red, it's going to be really eye opening. You're going to see red, literally. You know, if you see a lot of red, right. it's going to be quite eye opening. Or maybe you see there's not necessarily a lot of red, but the red you have is like several things back to back. Well, um, you know, put uh, figure out a way to put some green things, uh, activities in between those, so you space them out a little bit. Or maybe there are ways to bring some orange or green to something that is otherwise red. Or can the red things? Can some of those be delegated to? To someone else, uh, uh, you know. So there's uh, all kinds of ways you can you can tackle those, but just doing that audit audit is 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 pretty eye opening. Uh, the A assemble your advisors. Um, I uh, do this through what I, what I call a mastermind uh, group, and so I think it's important for all of us to have a personal board of advisors, people we meet with on a regular basis. You're doing this through some of your membership site stuff, yep, a membership community stuff. Um, it's kind, it's kind of like a mastermind group in many ways, right? Where people come together on a regular basis, they're being challenged, they're being pushed, they're being motivated and held accountable to the things they say they're going to do. I think it's important to surround yourself with people like that. Jim Rohn famous for saying you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. I like to say, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Right. (laughs) Um, and then the last one is the M is master your mornings. I have found that virtually everyone, whether you're a morning person or not, you know, just stay with me here for a second. Yeah. Virtually everyone who is successful understands the value of pouring into themselves first before trying to go out and change the world or 
you know, provide value to other people or family members or whomever. And so I think it's important to have a morning ritual. What you do during that time is only up to you, but make sure you're carving out time, whether that's an hour or three hours to uh, fill your own tank. And when you do that, chances are the day that follows is going to be much more impactful than it otherwise would have been. So dance with discomfort, re-engage with reading, examine your energy, assemble your advisors, and master your mornings. I love that. I'm starting to take my mornings a little more seriously, you know, because I'm realizing that it matters. And I, I also realized recently that I spent, you know, however long in my corporate career, getting a cup of coffee and sitting down at work. And I have to do that now too, or else I don't work. <laughs> it's kind of interesting. <laughs> Those habits uh, influence yeah. you, right? Anyway, well, okay. I should have asked you, and I, cause I want to know this, like why was read to lead the podcast that you started? Why was that the thing that you were like, Oh, this is the, what I want to put into the world. Mm. Yeah. That, uh, that last radio job I worked, I, I was fortunate to work for a guy named Matt, who I mentioned is now in, in Dallas, Texas at a station there. Uh, Matt, the best leader I've ever worked for, uh, just everything good about it. The, the antithesis of that other leader I talked about that led by intimidation. He was the complete opposite of that. Um, very servant type leadership, um, understood the value of, uh, you know, leveraging the collective brain power in the room, not being intimidated by having a staff of people around him that were better at what they were supposed to be better at, you know, than he was. Yeah. Um, and not, not a diminisher type leader uh, that uh, Liz Weissman talks about in a book called Multipliers, how the best leaders make everyone smarter. Matt was definitely a multiplier type leader. And one of the things he did was he brought books into the workplace. Now, I had never really been exposed much to business books or personal growth, mindset, leadership, and all that. Uh, that mentor I mentioned earlier, Richard Sickles, at one of those early Christian stations, did attempt to put those kinds of books in front of me, but they didn't take. They didn't stick. I was, uh, again, young and dumb, 22, and didn't <laughs> appreciate them. D- imagine not appreciating well, Ziegler and Og Mandino. I mean, right? I mean, that's <laughs> the thing. Like, it's so easy. It, it's the hubris of youth, right? Like, we think we know yes. everything, and that's okay. We exactly. all are like that. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, learning, I, I'm with you. I wish I would have, uh, like, right now I have Think and Grow Rich on my on my desk right here and I'm still working through it. Right. I'm like, why didn't I get into this like 15 years ago or 20 years ago? That's because it's been there. You know, what is that phrase when the student is ready, the teacher will come or something like that. hundred percent. And, and so in my early thirties, then, you know, fast forward 10 years uh, from young and dumb and I was ready. It was the, the planets were aligned, if you will. And Matt was bringing in, Seth Godin's Purple Cow and Pat Lincioni's Five Dysfunctions of a Team and Jim uh, or John Maxwell's uh, 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership and Jim Collins' Good to Great. And I was like, oh, my gosh, a kid in a candy store. I, I was eating this stuff up all of a sudden. Couldn't get enough of it. In fact, my book is dedicated to Matt uh, Austin is his name, my boss, and Seth Godin collectively, mm. because even though those two have never met, uh, they came together with Purple Cal, Seth's book, and Matt's recommendation and book club that he started. They, them coming together reignited a love for reading that I had been laying dormant since I was a kid. Wow. School educated out of me the desire to read, right? So um, <laughs> they brought it back, and I became a voracious reader. And you know, I might have been reading you know, a book every quarter or something like that then, and they grew to eventually a book a month. And would in the early part of 2013 would become 
before I started my podcast, a book a week. And that epiphany of, gosh, I'm reading a book a week anyway. Maybe there's an idea for that podcast I've been wanting to do. I kind of thought of podcasts as, you know, weekly events, even though they not all of them are. Right. But most of the ones I listened to were weekly. And so I just had this epiphany on the way home from work one day as I was counting up the number of books I'd read. It was like three months into the year and I'd read almost 12. And I'm like, that's a book a week. And as soon as I said that out loud, I was like, hey, maybe that's my podcast thing. Maybe that's my idea. I'm doing this weekly anyway. I love talking about books. I never have enough people around me to talk about them with. I want to just build a show that, you know, selfishly gives me the chance to do that. And oh, free books. <laughs> right. It's all about Jeff. Right. Well, hey, that's an important benefit. You know, I, I was thinking about this today. The first time somebody sent me up, I'd gotten books before for blogging, but somebody like about three months into podcasting, a guy named Keith Giles reached out and said, hey, I will send you a copy of my book. Will you have me on your show? I was like, yes. And then ever since I'm like, yeah, that's the best thing, right? That's the, that's the coolest part. <laughs> Love it. And, and meeting people, of course, is fun too. Well, so so cool. Okay. So that's, so you kind of already had this habit and you're like, okay, well, how, go, how do I take that into yeah. my thing? All right. So, you know, I know that uh, reading for personal development is one of the things, you know, uh, that you, that you say is, is something we should be a reason why we should, we should read. Uh, I think Christians, we, a lot, evangelicalism, I, I come from that, you know, sort of evangelical backgrounds, Midwest, like you, um, we we have that idea that we should be reading or that we have that we that we that we want to do it how do you get over the kind of like feeling of an obligation or you know like maybe i don't want to read or maybe i don't like the kinds of things that i'm finding what do you how do you help somebody figure that out yeah that was me for so many years right until i was in my early 30s and i think what i've discovered is uh read when you when when you Find something that interests you, a topic that interests you, an industry that interests you, a skill that interests you, a person that interests you. Research books on those things, the person, the topic, the industry. When you read toward those bents, you will never get bored. Now, I shouldn't say never. Will there be the occasional stinker in the mix, a book that's <laughs> not doing it for you? Sure. Set that aside. You're not obligated to finish it. Go on to the next one, right? Uh, but I think when you put that at the forefront and pick books on topics and people and industries that fascinate you and that you want to learn more about, maybe it's your job, which is what I did. I, I was being thrown into the more marketing related uh, things at the radio station uh, that I was at at the time, especially when I decided I wanted to come off the air. You know, if I'm going to justify my position, I got to be doing something right. <laughs> so, so I, before I knew it, I was involved in a lot of marketing conversations, but I didn't have really a marketing background. So I started reading all these books I could get my hands on on marketing. And it was something that I was interested in. I wanted to, to get better at at the same time, um, had, had sort of chosen that sort of little, little, little a niche within the station to, to want to pursue. And so I, I just devoured all I could. Uh, and Seth's Purple Cow was, was one of those mm. uh, first books. Um, later, um, as opportunities began presenting themselves to me, I think in large part because I was doing something most of my colleagues weren't, and that was reading, I was getting <laughs> asked to make presentations in front of different factions within the company to share some of the lessons I was learning with things like you know, social media marketing. Social media was this around 2008, 2009, and was still new, and, and nobody knew what to do with it, and how's it going to impact our industry, and what about sale, the sales team and the programming team, and how are they going to leverage these tools well, I was asked to speak to each of those factions because I was the one person who was reading about this stuff. 
and implementing what I was learning. The stuff that I implemented that didn't work, which happened, was quickly forgotten. But the stuff that I did that was working got me noticed. And so all of a sudden, I'm being asked to present. I was terrified of public speaking. So guess what? I started reading public speaking books. Right. And I knew that was a skill that I wanted to develop in order to achieve certain goals. I knew you know, in the back of my mind that I'm, I'm scared to death of that right now, even though I've spent all this time on radio and thousands <laughs> of people hear my voice. Right. I don't have to look at any of them. They're not looking at me. <laughs> That's a, This is a different animal. So I, I read books on how to create slides that are compelling, how to structure a talk, how to deliver a talk, and more recently, how to get booked and paid to speak. Uh, so there's all different kinds of books on that topic. And I still, to this day, love, re I'm reading one now called Do You Talk Funny, which is about implementing humor. into. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, it gets that granular. And so I never tire of reading books on that topic because it's a skill that I want to continue to get better at. So find that and reading for you, I think will be, uh, will be, will be a joy for sure. Yeah. So follow your curiosity is what you're saying. Like you've got, you've got to be I should have said, and then <laughs> should stop talking. And then no, I'm <laughs> some, I'm just summarizing. It's good. Follow your curiosity. Like, so, but that's such a great lesson. And I think at least me, I'll speak for myself. I have often thought, well, I should be interested in these things, right. Or I should be interested in reading a book about, being a better husband or being a better father or being a, or being a better Christian or whatever it is. And I'm not because I think there's a lot of reasons for that. Uh, so reading the things that are more interesting uh, and that I'm curious about will, will it's just like almost anything in life, right? Like we'll, we'll be, we'll be a much uh, more exciting and productive kind of endeavor. And that's not a selfish thing. It, it sounds like it could mm -hmm. be like, I'm only going to read a, things that interest me and being a better husband does not interest me. So I'm not going to, you know, yeah. I'm not saying you're suggesting that, but, but I, I don't think it's selfish to read things that interest you because here's what happens. Um, as you begin to develop that habit, your, uh, your preferences for what you read will, will be impacted and grow. And uh, you'll read not just for what can I read and then implement, but you'll read for how it impacts your thinking. And lo and behold, um, there'll be an author that uh, recommends a book within their book that is a book you've had sort of on the back burner that maybe it's that better husband book right? Uh, that you just needed that little nudge. You know, that author recommended it who, whose work you've just read and who you respect highly. And then he or she recommends it. And that could be the seed or the final push or shove you need to actually break down and, and read that. And, and crazy thing happens. You actually enjoy reading it. Right. Right. Yeah. Let it, let it take you on that path. That's a really good yeah. point. Yes. I'm of course not saying I don't want to be a better husband or father. I'm just saying <laughs> those books sometimes appear, uh, you know, sure. I get it. Uh, whatever. Manipulative. Maybe, uh, it's kind of my thing right now. So, uh, interesting. Yeah. I love that. Uh, Jeff, I love your story. Thank you for sharing all that with us. The book is read to lead and, uh, the podcast is read to lead. So you can find that in your podcast app. You're already in there. Just go ahead, flip over and search it up. I guarantee you will not be disappointed. Great show. Um, and get the book so you can, I, I don't know if it, this will be out before when you can pre-order still, but you can get it anywhere you get, you get great books. Um, and the website is read to lead book.com as well. So you can go, go check that out. You can download, looks like first chapter and mm -hmm. order it right from there. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Kick the tires. If you need to get that first chapter for free, if you want. Yeah. Fantastic. Uh, Jeff, is there anything that you want to leave us with? Um, 
gosh, let's see. Uh, if I could leave you with anything at all, it would be to, if you're not sure, even after this conversation, um, this whole idea about about reading, um, read the book, read to lead. Uh, <laughs> I'll read the first section. And that first chapter is a great place to start that you can get for free, the introduction and the first chapter, because that whole first section makes an argument for why you need to read like your career depends on it. Mm. And if after reading that section, you're not convinced, uh, you know, sell it on eBay, give it to somebody else who might, who might need it <laughs> or, right. or write me and ask me for your money back and I'll send you $11. <laughs> right. Right. Perfect. Uh, yeah. Reading is so powerful. I think it's hard to believe sometimes when I get a little historical and I go, not like not everybody, we live in the information age, right? Not everybody's had access to so much information. Uh, but man, learning to just do, do it as a habit and let yourself grow is is a brilliant and wonderful opportunity. So I love that. Uh, Jeff, thanks so much for being here. I really appreciate it. It's a true honor. Thank you for having me, Eric. I loved being here with you and appreciate uh, you letting me kind of share my story. 